Y'all know what time it is. Black Bandana, two black martial artists. Yeah, it's time for Black Martial Picks. I'm your host, the master of Black Negro Jitsu, Lil Ross Stephan. Today, of course, I'm joined by my one and only co-host, Divine Prodigy. And we're here to give you all the best picks and plays for UFC 257, McGregor versus Poirier 2. Two, the rematch. Divine Prodigy, it's been a while, but we back. We back like Cook Crack was good. Hey, man, you said it best, man. We 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 back. It's, it's been a minute. I'm done with COVID, done with a few other things. It's been a minute, but uh, it's Conor McGregor, man. It's Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor comes out, you know, certain people come out. We back, man. We ain't going nowhere. Excellent. Um, I'm I'm excited about this card. I I'm so familiar with all these fighters. I didn't have to do a lot of film study, uh, but uh, I am looking forward to it. Looking forward to see how it plays out. I think we got some great, exciting fighters in the card. We're not going to waste any time. We're going to start off with the main event here. It is Conor McGregor versus Dustin the Diamond Poirier. 155 pounds that's the main event this is a five round title fight or not a title fight but five round main event fight and i earlier in the week was really believing dustin poirier is a completely different fighter he's much better and he is going to be able to avenge his one and only loss against conor mcgregor upon reviewing some film and looking at the wars that, I mean, he is an, he's one of the best pound-for-pound fighters in the world. But I just, I've always had that feeling that Dustin Poirier is always going to fall short of being the very best in the world. Um, his losses in his career, Khabib Nurmagomedov by submission, Michael Johnson by KOTKO, Conor McGregor by KOTKO, Chan Sun Jug by submission, uh, got a loss to Cub Swanson. And a loss to Danny Castillo. Uh, he has beaten a who's who of mixed martial arts. Wins over Max Holloway, Eddie Alvarez, Justin Gaethje, Anthony Pettis, um, Jim Miller in a majority decision. But here's what's, when, upon film review, I know his his win over Max Holloway and Justin Gaethje, by, well, at least the one over Justin Gaethje by finish. Those are super impressive wins. But my problem with Dustin Poirier is he's hittable. He always has been. It's not like he's not tough, but can you really be hittable against Conor McGregor? I mean, power punchers, I don't know how many power punchers he's faced, really, if I'm looking through his record. Michael Johnson was definitely a power puncher. Conor McGregor was a power puncher. He hasn't faced too many big-time power punchers in his career. Kira Corsani, Diego Brandao, Eric Coke. Not a lot of big, powerful strikers um, in uh, in this in, in his career. I didn't know he had two. I forgot he had two wins over Max Holloway. But yeah, Dustin Poirier is absolutely outstanding. But he gets hit. Dan Hooker was tuning him up with left hands. Conor McGregor should be able to absolutely take his head off. Um, I could be worried here about the now if this fight makes it in the rounds three, four, and five, all Dustin Poirier all day 
you know. But as long as it stays within the first two rounds, the notorious isn't at, he's got the death touch that Faraz Zahabi would um talk about. And it just has to be said. I mean, he slept Aldo, he destroyed Cerrone Alvarez. Diaz in the rematch, um, Mendez, you know, he already won this matchup, of course, he destroyed Dustin Poirier, and I think Poirier is a much, I think he's an extraordinarily improved fighter, but he still gets hit, and that's the problem, Dustin Poirier also doesn't necessarily have the biggest chin, he's definitely durable to an extent, but we saw Conor McGregor just touched him one time and he just fell out, man. So the notorious Conor McGregor is uh, who I like here. I'll be playing both sides of this. It's a five-round main event. Dustin Poirier will have an outstanding score in a win. And the notorious Conor McGregor will have an outstanding score in a win. Because it'll probably it'll it'll have to come within the first two rounds, most likely. I'm going out on a limb and guessing. I I would say it just has to. Conor McGregor isn't going to win a five-round decision against Dustin Poirier, not with the type of output Poirier puts in. So, I mean, one way or another, one of these guys is going to score over, well over 100 DraftKings points, I believe. And uh, that's why I'm liking... Uh, I, I'm liking Conor McGregor, but I'm going to have exposure to both guys. It just makes sense. Uh Divine Prodigy, how do you feel about this fight? What's your analysis here? Divine Prodigy, where is he? Yeah. Yo. Yeah. Yo. Uh, okay, my turn. Um, I think honestly, of course we've seen this fight before. First time was about what six years ago, at 145 pounds. Um, Conor McGregor called a shot. Said, uh. Round one, I'm, I'm going to knock this man out. That's what he went out and did. Of course, these two men are vastly, vastly, vastly different different fighters now. Um, I would say since then, they've both just gone on to improve probably Dustin Poirier significantly more because Dust, uh, Connor has always had this hype. But, you know, you, you look at now, both of them look really, really filled out at 155, not cutting down that extra weight. Of course, you know, ever since – it seems that ever since – Poirier got to 155. His chin hasn't been an issue. He's been able to take some shots and come right back and you know... Um, and Have you ever thought his fit. chin was an issue, honestly? I thought at 145 I think uh, I think um, it, it impacted him. And, and, and Just why in terms of this fight... Now, why is that? Just in terms of this he's fight... He's only been knocked out it, by Johnson. And... And Conor McGregor, of course. Right. That's just two knockouts in a 30-fight career. I... I think oh, yeah, it's yeah. the fact that it's it's this it's this fighter. Just in terms of this matchup, I think at 145, it, it was just too much too much weight to cut against someone who hits that hard. I think 155, you know, this fight, I still think McGregor's going to win, but I think this fight will be much much more competitive and much and and probably have a, a great a great chance of going into the third or like the fourth round because, like I said, once you know he has a little bit more a little bit more uh, blood and a little bit more oxygen flow, less blood drain, being drained from the weight cut, you know, okay, you, you start getting, filling out a little bit more. You can take more headshots. We've seen it. We've seen it happen with plenty of other fighters. But, um, uh, and I think, um, 
the main thing you already said it that Dustin Poirier just gets hit too much. He he gets hit too much. There's a there's there's there hasn't been any Poirier fight that hasn't been you know entertaining at least. And on an entertaining fight, usually there's back and forth. You know, against Eddie Alvarez was back and forth. Justin Gaethje back and forth. Um, even in the fights he wins, Max Holloway, even though he beat Max Holloway, Max Holloway tagged him up. It's just you you can't you can't take that many hits against certain people and expect to win. Max Holloway, you can do it. We've never we've we've known Max Holloway to not be a power punch. You can't do that against Conor McGregor. And I, I think the 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 cardio issue that you, that people want to label on Conor McGregor is kind of overrated. Um, if you you watched him when he when he boxed Floyd Mayweather, I think everyone saw that fight. I specifically was tuning into that fight because I'm like, well, obviously there's no way he's gonna beat he's gonna beat Floyd Mayweather. But let me at least see how he does. Let's look and see when he gets tired. Um, I think that was a I believe that was a 12 round fight. But either way, he didn't. The Conor McGregor didn't visibly get tired until about the 26, 27 minute mark. And of course, you know in boxing the rounds are three minutes. But so, but at the same time, you know, you go that long, um, 25, 26 minutes. Let's go on a UFC fight is uh, even five rounds. It's only 25 minutes. So it's like, okay, at least he can go the the 25 full 25 minute round um, fighting someone at a, and at a decent pace. And of course, Dustin Poirier is going to be pressuring him, but Conor McGregor is going to p- pressure Dustin Poirier. That's just how they both fight. I think in that in that case, Conor McGregor will win too. You know. I, I, it's it's a lot that goes into the psyche of maybe Dustin Poirier here. I know the first time they fought, um, some will say that he was Connor was already in Dustin Poirier's head before the fight even began, which of course played a factor. Of course, in this rematch, though, you know, it, it's like you have someone who's already knocked you out. He's already beat you. He's already knocked you out. You can go one of two ways, you know, actually believing that this time it will be different, you know, considering all the success you've had, or it's like. Well, damn, this guy's had my number before. He just he just might have it again. It's a psychological thing. So it, it really depends on Dustin Poirier. But like we've been saying, in terms of just the fight itself, you I, you obviously can't deny the, the improvement since that last fight. But the facts still remain. Conor McGregor is, is in, the, in those first two rounds is the most dangerous he will pro- probably be. And in the early rounds, Dustin Poirier gets hit way too much. And sometimes he starts slow. So I don't see how you can and the favor. Is, when he does get hit, then he gets emotional. He starts brawling. Like, these are all the wrong things to do against Conor McGregor. And, and, and of course, head. sometimes when you get hit, that wakes you up, you know. Sometimes you need to get hit a few times to wake you up. Okay, I'm in a fight. But you, like I said, you you, you can't do it against Conor McGregor. It's, it's the wrong opponent. If, okay, here's the problem. Dustin Poirier doesn't have one. He's got a land like 60. If Conor McGregor lands any one clean punch, the fight is essentially over. I think those yeah. are facts. Yeah. Like, Dustin Poirier is, isn't that... I don't know if anybody... Has anybody ever been able to deal with that, though? That type of punishment, you know? Like, nobody can withstand that. Those, those death touches, man. Man, uh, Khabib got a little bit of the death touches before you start wrestling. Um, Nate Diaz is the only person that's really fully withstood the the hands of Conor McGregor. We know his 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 durability durability has never been in question. But he's really big though. Is he like 170 yeah. pounds usually? That yeah, he was, he was 170. Yeah, so he's a he can fight at both guy. weights. So that we have to, six feet. The bigger you are, the more punches you could absorb. So 
we kind of ha- kind of have to discount that. But uh, uh, Conor McGregor is, uh, yeah, I'm I'm gonna have exposure to both people because, like I said, that's the point. I don't know, man. Must have, but I I'm gonna probably have a lot more Conor McGregor because he should he could get that that new bonus for the uh, the, the the quick finish, you know. I think uh, we'll talk about somebody that's gonna probably guarantee, well, not guarantee because it's MMA, but pretty good spot to get that first. The first person I see get the twenty five bonus. We'll see. Oh. But Conor McGregor definitely has it too. But you know who I'm talking about. You'll get to him. All right, we go into our next fight. We got Dan Hooker against the debut taunt, uh, Michael Chandler, University of Missouri. I went to University of Missouri. Uh, my college roommate actually was in the wrestle off with Michael Chandler. Beat him in the wrestle off. Did not get awarded the starting spot over Michael Chandler. Facts. So I'm very familiar with uh, Michael Chandler as a wrestler. I don't have anything against him. I'm always rooting for him. But um, Michael Chandler is a um, a former Bellator champion. He is an absolutely outstanding fighter, and he's making his UFC debut. He's coming in against Dan the Hangman Hooker. Now, from a skill standpoint, I would say Michael Chandler is the better wrestler, but we have some interesting, um, some interesting side stories i guess you would say so dan hooker is six feet with a 75.5 inch reach michael chandler is five eight with a 69 inch reach that is a four inch height and a six and a half seven inch reach advantage dan hooker also as well as being super long and now, I mean, I can't deny that he's gifted on the feet. I mean, he's been absolutely impressive within his past few fights, taking the uh, decisions over ally Quinta Paul Felder and uh, also James Vick. Those are all very impressive wins. Did get beat up by Edson Barboza uh, and did lose to Dustin Poirier, but those, those fights are to be understood. Uh, Dan Hooker is absolutely exceptional as a fighter. Um, he's getting better everywhere, but the biggest thing about Dan Hooker is, yes, Michael Chandler is a great wrestler, but Dan Hooker has, because of his length, his guillotines are absolutely disgusting. Not necessarily very safe to shoot on Dan Hooker. That's definitely a narrative here. So basically, this is the classic. Uh, this is the classic type of fight: Joe Frazier versus George Foreman. Joe Frazier versus anybody essentially is that the smaller fighter is going to have to fight his way in. And, of course, Michael Chandler is going to want to get to his strength, which is the wrestling, which is which is high-level Division One wrestling, starting in the Big 12 uh, on a top 10 wrestling team. The University of Missouri is very good when Michael Chandler was there. Um, but nonetheless, <clears throat> it has to be said, Michael Chandler, I don't believe he won a state championship. Like I said, my roommate did out-wrestle him. So he's a good wrestler, but he's not Khabib. He's not Gregor Gillespie. Like, he's he's good, but I think Dan Hooker can deal with him, especially with the length that Dan Hooker fights with. And then he's got those excellent submissions. So I'm going to pick Dan Hooker, but I'm playing both sides of this because, because, because somebody's going to score really well. Either Michael Chandler with his wrestling or Dan Hooker with his striking output. And uh, they're both priced at what? Dan Hooker is $8,500. Uh, 
Michael Chandler is $7,700. So these both guys are both right in the mid-range. I love both of them. I guess Michael Chandler, if I was picking him to win, he would be the preferred play. But I like exposure to Dan Hooker over Michael Chandler because I think that this height and reach and striking advantage is going to be too much for Michael Chandler to overcome. Because even if he does get to the wrestling, he's going to have to worry about uh, submissions. And his wrestling is high level, but I don't think it's exceptional enough. Like, it's not national championship level. It's not Olympic champion level. I don't think it's exceptional enough to to, to overcome the, the height and reach disadvantage he's at. So, I don't think that's the case. Um, I'm picking Dan Hooker. We'll have exposure to both sides. More Dan Hooker than Michael Chandler. Divine Prodigy, how do you feel about this fight? Um, I'm going the opposite way. I'm going to go with Michael Chandler. Um, of course, it'd, it'd be crazy to to think that Dan Hooker hasn't improved over the years. He definitely, he definitely, definitely has. But I think the mo on Michael Chandler, I mean on Dan Hooker, is that every time he receives a step up in competition, he falters. I mean, um, you see it against Ed, people like Ed, Edson Barboza. You see it against people like Dustin Poirier. And I think you can you can put a Michael Chandler in that, you know, in that conversation. I think, you know, uh, the only reason, honestly, that Michael Chandler is the underdog here, I think, is because he comes from Bellator. They, they're trying to, you know, seem like, you know, Bellator is is, is the B to, to the UFC's A. And in certain instances, that's true. But, you know, when you have people from Bellator, certain gems like uh, Natty Alvarez or certain gems like uh, someone like a Michael Chandler, you know, you, those those people can't be can't be treated the same. They can't be treated like a one B. Um, freaking Michael Chandler almost was in the freaking. He was a replacement in a title fight in case um, Khabib versus Gaethje didn't go down. You know, in order to put someone like that in that type of spot immediately coming from another promotion, you obviously have to think a little bit highly of him, or just look at his accomplishments and feel that okay, he, th- this guy's been good. He's he's done he's done it. He's done it all. So of course, Michael Chandler isn't any spring chicken or anything like that. But in terms of this fight, um, I think you you, you kind of know the mo here. Uh, we we believe that the best the best way the best method to defeat Dan Hooker in this equation would be to close that distance. You already mentioned the height and the reach disadvantage. Close that distance. Use that D one wrestling that you said is from the University of Missouri. Um, your roommate can definitely, of course, wrestle. So. Uh, it's not a, a slight it's to EJ not be a, a, yeah yeah yeah. He's, that's not a slight to be a less a lesser wrestler than an EJ Brooks. You know who uh, it, you know he's known you know at least you know, for being that uh, a good wrestler in his own right. So it's like Mike. But we I think we forget the fact that Michael Chandler he can strike too. I think he has yeah. he has he has the striking credentials too. You know if he can close the distance and and get in on Hooker to damage uh, Hooker's standing as well. He's no slouch on the feet. It's not like it's straight striker versus grappler. Michael Chandler can, is, is well-versed. He can do both. Um, I know the one the, the one weapon, you mentioned the guillotine of Dan Hooker, but you also can mention the knees. You know, one, one thing of having that height, that height advantage is that, you know, you, you're able to see and, and be taller than Michael Chandler, so you can pretty much kind of anticipate if he does shoot, you can time a knee. And, of course, one of those knees hits you right on the chin, you're gonna go to sleep no matter who you are. Um, I just think you know um, the defensive wrestling. Even though City Kickboxing has been getting better with their defensive wrestling, you see Israel Adesanya 
He, who knows that people have to take him down in order to try to win. He's getting better with it. Dan Hooker is one of them people who standing is really, really good. You, he can piece up, you know, people like Dustin Poirier. But like I said, in that same token, we've seen people like the Dustin Poirier put him on his back in that in that affair. Now, granted, he put Dustin Poirier on his back too, so he's been obviously working his offensive wrestling. But those defensive wrestling, that defensive wrestling, I don't know if you can, you know, from Dustin Poirier, who's not a D1 um, wrestler, but he can wrestle uh he can mma wrestle which is sometimes all you need you can mma wrestle versus actually being a d1 wrestler so you can mix in mma wrestling along with the techniques and and and, and d1 wrestling skills the skills that you've acquired you know i don't i just don't think that you can dan hooker can make that gap you know especially when you have so much that it could happen it could be in the middle of the, the middle of the ring that you're getting a, a take takedown attempted on you or it can more than likely be on the fence you know you get backed up get pressured back up to the fence, take down from a trip or something like that. It's too many ways to, you know, go down sneakily. So I don't know. It's, it's I don't feel like Dan Hooker is going to, to to rise to that occasion. I feel like this is a step up. This is not, I wouldn't say Poirier level yet, because I would have to see Michael Chandler beat someone of Poirier's level. But I would say he's not that far off of a Poirier uh, type of opponent and I just don't feel like Dan Hooker is, is ready for these moments he he's a gatekeeper a really really good gatekeeper at, at um at, at that weight class and I as and, and Michael Chandler he's he's proven that he can be beyond that level he's proven that he's at least title caliber over the course of his career so I just think um this this 7700 is a gift and now with this control time that we get from DraftKings scoring you want to look at those guys who could potentially you know grapple their way to victory because of the control time as well so I like Michael Chandler but I understand you know of course playing both sides it's not like Dan Hooker is any slouch we know he's going to come to fight every single time win or lose and he's very durable so you know. mm-hmm. yeah I like this but I'm going Chandler yeah, yeah. Fight's good, though. I think one way or another, if Chandler wins, he'll have to do it with his wrestling. Uh, that'll be his strongest route to victory. I think if Hooker wins, it's, it's going to be a beating, though. So the fight is only three rounds, which is a shame. It should be a main event. Um, but great fight. I'm excited about it. Next fight up, we got Joanne Calderwood versus Jessica Evil. I, Joanne Calderwood is $8,400. I is $7,800. Um, I won't spend too much time on this fight. I think it goes to the decision. I don't necessarily think the fighters score that high. But, man, Jordan Calderwood has scored exceptionally well. Or she scored decent in some of her wins. Uh, 96-89. Scored 69 in the loss against Trukajian. So, she's definitely an interesting play. Should be low on because she's a girl. I mean, she scored 139 points versus Letourneau, 138 points versus Courtney Casey. I don't know. I don't know if I will allow for that type of output. I think I's most exceptional route to victory here will possibly be her grappling. I think as long as it stays on the feet. It's Calderwood's advantage, but, you know, thinking about the, the, the potential output of Calderwood, I have to say that I like her. She should be lower on than she should be. Um, she She's, uh, you know, like, I, I mean, I don't like it, but I like it. It's, the fight should go to decision. People are going to sleep on that fight. 
I is a viable underdog. There are underdogs I do like more though. But this could be it's a great fight to own because it's just not sexy at all. No, not to say either one of these girls is ugly, but yeah, I mean, if Jessica I wins, I think it'll be ugly. If Carterwood wins, I think she could score really well with the accumulation of strikes she should land. So I was unexcited about the fight, but I think Carterwood is an excellent play. I is an okay play. She's a former bantamweight coming down from uh, two flyweight from bantamweight. So ah, Carterwood is a former strawweight coming up to flyweight. So she should have the speed advantage and everything like that. So I'm picking Carterwood. And I think Carterwood is an excellent play at this point. I mean, she could, there's a very good chance that she could definitely outscore Hooker or Michael Chandler. And those two will be way more popular because their fight is going to be more tedious. Um, Define Prodigy, what do you think? I'm starting, I, after talking about this fight, I kind of like Joanne Carterwood as a play. I've um in my initial 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 make of my lineups, um I put JoJo Calderwood in the slot. Um, not only if you look at the scoring based off the new scoring, does JoJo Calderwood score very very well? I think she's always been that type of person. But you know, I think you know that I've been biased on JoJo Calderwood. Where if she, if her mentality is in the right space, she can be top five. You know, and she can beat any woman on any night. You know, but it's always those that that type of, you know, Rose Nama Yunus type issue. Like, will will she is she mentally there? Is she not mentally there? You know, I feel as though she can personally be on Rose Nama Yunus's level. But though that mental discipline or lack thereof is what stops her from being there. But um, I'm, I'm very high on Jojo Calderwood's talent. Now, Jessica, I, you know, in one in terms of 125, she finds ways to get to get it done. So you really can't, you know, be mad at her. But I just don't, I just don't think that she is that talented. She's one of she's one of those uh, 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 jack of all trade type fighters. You know, not not a master of any. Not you know, fairly decent on the feet. Can wrestle as well. Um, Jessica I is just Jessica I, but it's 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 hard to not look at Jessica I and just be like she sucks because like she's not memorable. She's not. She doesn't suck. She's just. She she's just, not memorable. She like she doesn't suck, but she's like Omariak Meta of you know she can surprise you at times, but she's just a fighter. Like I don't like Omariak Meta of. I mean I knew he he was gonna beat the hell out of Tom Breeze because cause, I mean Tom Breeze has those same mental issues so it's like jojo calderwood would beat herself just like tom breeze beat himself we know tom, tom breeze has talent to beat the hell out of amari akmedov but yet it's it's the mentality thing the fight iq you know jojo alderwood's calderwood is prone to the same type of thing she lets you know her head get the best of her but um like i said Je- jessica i it's just like she's just there and and these two women apparently have a little bit of beef and maybe that beef is something that Jojo Caldwell can key in on for this camp. You know, focus. Okay, my mission is to 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 beat the, this woman into a pulp. This woman I have beef with, but we know Jojo in terms of significant strikes, she can do it. She can be Max Holloway in terms of significant strikes. She can pile those up. She has the ground game to to stick with Jessica. I should the should should the the fight go there. I like Jess. I like Jojo Caldwell for so many reasons, real life DFS wise, in terms of this fight. But like I said, she can make herself look like an 
like an easy minus 200 favorite or she can just as easily make herself look like a like she should have been like a plus 200 underdog so it, it you, you pretty much pick your poison with jojo calderwood but i really really like her at least in this fight against jessica i to to come up with a victory and and pretty and pretty much be a sneaky option at that mid-range price of 8400 Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think just guys live in this fight. She could win it. She is a former strawweight, I mean, flyweight title challenger. She doesn't suck. In the she past, doesn't score well at all. True, because she's not. Like I said, she's a former bantamweight. So her output is not going to be the same type of deal, you know. Uh, but she does have a win over Caitlin Chukagian. Is that Vivian Oraju? Does she have a win over her too? It is Vivian Oraju. She has some impressive wins on here. Um, no, the problems with Vivian, she gets tired. That's it. Her cardio, lack of cardio. Other than that, it's very talented. It used lack to be cardio. just I would get crushed by grapplers. We got McMahon here. We got Pena. We got Tate. She almost won that Pena fight though. But yeah, this is. I don't know. Jessica fight can win. Jessica can win, but she used to shoot herself in the foot all the time. Not so much anymore. But let's go on to our next fight. We got Omar Azatar versus Matt Favola. Somebody from this fight is going to be on the winning lineup. That's my prediction. I don't know if it's going to be Azatar. I don't know if it's going to be Favola. But somebody's going. Either Azatar is going to knock Favola out. Or Favola is going to brawl and wrestle his way to a win. I personally... Am not impressed by Azatar. I was picking Worthy, Kama Worthy over him, uh, for sure, just because I thought Kama was definitely technically more impressive and everything like that. But being said, yeah, I don't know. Neither one of these guys is extraordinarily good. <laughs> I know Azatar has uh, great punching power, but I know Provola can take a licking and keep on ticking. He has continuously. Polo Reyes stopped him. But other than that, he's got some pretty impressive wins over Jalen Turner, promising prospect. Luis Pena is a long, lanky, hard-to-deal-with person. And he's got a draw with Lando Venata. Very impressive. Where he was beaten to death in that first round and came back and got a draw. Frivola is tough as nails. So will Isatar just come in here and knock Frivola out? Uh, that's been hard to do. Only Polo Reyes has so far. I think that's Isatar's only road to success here because I just was not impressed by his film. I never have been. Um, I'm not saying he sucks. I just, I don't think that his technical acumen is what necessarily definitely beats Favola. So I like Favola a lot. He's a great play. I'll have exposure to both of these fighters because somebody's going to pile up the points. And Isatar either is going to pile up the points with a big old knockout or something. And Favola is going to pile up the points with just a brawl, and he could get a finish. So, yeah, I think Favola is technically better and has faced a tougher competition up to this point. Divine Prodigy, what say you? You know, I'm glad that, um, of course, this fight is definitely striker versus grappler. We have. Azatar, <clears throat> you know, just like his coming in, just like his brother Abu, they're they're trying to come and take over and all that stuff. Um, but you have this this guy, this is Azatar who's beaten what Kama Worthy, and who was the other guy? Who was the other guy? 
I don't think he's beat anybody else in the UFC. No, well, no, he definitely beat somebody else. It was Kama where he won. He oh, just yeah. recently beat him. And the first guy, what the fuck was the first guy? Taimu Paklin. That's why I didn't remember. Taimu Paklin. Paklin. Okay. It's because it's, it's that area of my brain is scarred. I had a bunch of Taimu okay. Paklin that night. And so I guess my brain is trying to keep that. Taimu Paklin is, is not memorable. It is no one blame. Yeah, it's trying to, my brain is trying to keep me away from that time Taimu Paklin burned all my lines up. But uh, of course, though we at least know it from that fight. Though Timu Paglin was probably the only chance we would have gotten to see his uh, a little bit of uh, Zaytar's takedown defense. Um, now I don't remember that fight lasting long, and it ended the first round, so obviously it didn't last long. But um, we still pretty much have yet to see it get t- tested. Timu Paglin ha- isn't, um, at least to me, he isn't a proven consistent wrestler. Um. We've seen Frivola, who ever since that first fight with Polo Reyes, where he got knocked out on the feet, he's he's pretty much turned into a wrestler since that moment against Venata, wrestler. The fight that that makes me question and have to reassess this fight, though, that you mentioned is Jalen Turner. Jalen Turner is, of course, I, I have a lot of respect for Jalen Turner. He's long, he's lanky, he hits hard, but... What's the what's the same MO? Hold on, your little voice is breaking up over there. What's up with that? What are you doing? I'm talking. You good? You can hear me? You hear me? Yeah, now I can. You good now? Oh, right. okay. Well, uh, my fault. J- Jalen Turner is is the key to what you said. Um, Jalen Turner and Azatar here would have the same strategy if this was a fight that both of them were making coming against Matt Frivola. To stay standing, you're you're gonna think, hey, Jalen Turner has this in the bag. He's gonna knock him out. You're thinking uh, uh, Zaytar more than likely has this in the bag. He's going to knock him out. But what did Frivola immediately do in those, in that fight against Jalen Turner? He knew the guy was dangerous, knew if it, if it stayed up, he, he's, he's probably going to beat my ass. He went immediately for the takedown. I mean, that, that's all you can do, test the takedown defense. We saw Jalen Turner pretty much didn't have any takedown defense. It was a long night. Frivola got the win. We don't. We still have yet to know about uh, – Azatar's um, takedown defense, Timu Paklin doesn't count. And so now you have Matt Frivola, who we've seen him, like I said, become a takedown artist, a a wrestling artist. So it's like, why not take that chance? Why not take that chance? Of course, every fight starts standing. So, of course, you maybe want to have a little bit of a Zaytar. But since that fight with Polo Reyes, we haven't seen Frivola pretty much even take any chances on the feet. And it's not like on the feet. He, he doesn't have a bit of he, – he can't earn a bit of respect himself standing. I'm sorry, striking. So, we, I mean, we've seen him strike a little bit too. Um, the, the Venata fight, he was striking with Venata. So, I mean, uh, yeah, he, he can do it. He can he can earn some respect on the feet. But I think, you know, you have to take a chance on Frivola. I think, honestly, now I, I, I've kind of talked myself into picking – Matt Frivola, um, in term, in, in, instead of picking the Zaytar, it works better for DK, you know, 7,400 compared to 8,800. But like you said, this fight, whether you believe whoever wins, you're saying this fight's going to be on the optimal line. So if a Zaytar wins, it's by on the feet knockout. You expect maybe a, a knockdown with it. And if Frivola wins, you expect it to be control time and probably four four or so takedowns in the, in the octagon. And you'll take that every every single time. You'll take that every single time. So I, I think, you know, Frivola, we'll go with Frivola 
and and we'll just we'll see if if Azatar has the takedown defense to to hang in the UFC. Okay, yeah, I I um Azatar is kind of a he is a mystery to me. I don't know what he is yet, but I'm not extraordinarily impressed by it, and I'm just. I'm gonna continue picking against him, and as he as he keeps going up and up in competition, hopefully, he crashes down because that's what I keep picking. The next fight up, we got Amanda Hebas at ninety two hundred dollars versus Marina Rodriguez at seven thousand dollars. Oh man, um, if Marina Rodriguez could keep this fight standing, she should win it theoretically. Uh, she is one of the best strikers in the UFC. Bar none. But, boot, it seems as though she has a big problem keeping fights standing. She was able to do moderately well against Tisha Torres. Um, that was a very impressive win. But against Calvillo and Esparza, more grappling-based fighters, she could do nothing at all. Here again, she's facing a black belt. But Hebas, one thing that worries me about Hebas is that she is an ex-judo, well, she is a judo black belt and a jiu-jitsu black belt. And she is very dependent on throws. I don't know how effectively those judo throws work necessarily. I mean, they are effective takedown manners of takedown defense. I mean, takedowns. But there is a certain level to where the effectiveness of the judo throw starts to diminish. Um... I don't think necessarily Marina Rodriguez is that level. Um, but I guess Hebas is just, she's a beast, though, man. She's good on the feet. She's definitely not good as Rodriguez, though. So let's say Hebas were to make the mistake of going for a judo throw and get stuck on her feet. Marina Rodriguez could easily, should easily take this fight. She is the better striker. Um, boot. Boot, uh, if this fight hits the ground, Hebas should be taking one of these limbs of Rodriguez Holmes. Not only is she, she's not just going to be like Calvillo and um, Esparza. I believe she's going to get the submission and finish this fight. She's that dangerous on the ground. And the way Rodriguez is on the ground, I mean, we saw when Calvillo finally got the fight to the ground, she completely dominated it. This is this is Cynthia Calvillo and more, I think. So he bots by submission. If this goes to the ground, he just is gonna finish it. So yeah, it's just if it stays standing though, Rodriguez should win for sure. So we'll see. Uh, Rodriguez is definitely one of the best strikers in the UFC, and we'll see how this goes out, especially in the flyweight division. But I like, uh, I'm picking Hebas by submission, but I will have my Rodriguez exposure because she's only $7,000. She'll score great in a win. And if this fight stays standing, she is the better striker. You got to love somebody that's $7,000 and has a better skill set than their opponent. Divine Prodigy, what do you say? I say it doesn't matter. Um, Marina Rodriguez is going to get taken down in this fight and once she gets taken down in this fight she's going to be held down I mean that's I think that's pretty much how it goes of course we know like you said Marina's the better striker than Amanda Hebas but we know Hebas is the better grappler 
than Marina Rodriguez. I think that last fight against Calvillo for Marina Rodriguez, it was like, you know, this is the same pretty much type of fight like you, you, you mentioned. It's it's the wrestling of Cynthia versus the striking of Rodriguez. And you know, Rodriguez had, you know, and and I think, I don't know, who who, who do you think is the better wrestler between Hebas and Calvillo? Hebas really does not use a wrestling approach. He uses her judo background, which is elite. Mm-hmm. It's elite. But either way, it's it's in terms of wrestling and mixed martial arts. So who has the best mixed martial who arts? Who has the better takedowns? Well, Hebas. Yes. Hebas hits those throws like man. She'd be throwing by. And if Hebas hits those throws like man, like you just said, Hebas is gonna win this fight. Oh yeah, and I she's mean, gonna that... finish it. She's gonna, and she's gonna probably finish it, like you said. I, Marina, we cannot trust Marina for three for three rounds. You cannot trust her for fifteen minutes to not hit this ground one time. And I've seen, we've all seen it when it's been points in time where she hits the ground, she's just comfortable there. She doesn't look to get back up. She's gonna probably try to go guard and maybe throw some elbows at the head, but she's gonna be comfortable being on that that mat for the rest of the round no matter how long it is. I mean, I, I don't see how you can confidently pick Marina Rodriguez. I don't see how you can trust Marina Rodriguez. Of course, if, if her takedown defense wasn't, you know, as atrocious as it is or as it seems or as it has been recently, then you could have a little bit more confidence. Like you said, at 7,000, you have a better skill set than your opponent. Just stay on your feet. You should win. But she's not going to stay on her feet. And when and you, I just, you and just can't. I can't. A bigger can't problem. Play. For Marina Rodriguez, is she likes to clinch up, and those Muay Thai clinches are definitely great offense. But when somebody's a judo, not special, for judo though, not against judo, not that, against that's where they judo, live. They live. that's where they live. So that's horrible. So she's gonna hopefully she just how can she stay away from what she knows best? She's gonna go to one of those Muay Thai clinches and get thrown the fuck to the ground probably and submitted. So yeah. I'll have my Marina, Marina Rodriguez exposure, but um, yeah, he bossed. This is a bad matchup for Marina Rodriguez. Bad matchup. Anything else to say, Divine Prodigy? Nah, we good. We going to the next one. Okay. All right. Let me just get this. Okay, we got. Armand Sarukian at $8,900 versus Nazrat Hakpras at $7,300. I'm picking Sarukian. He's got great striking. Of course, he's a phenomenal wrestler. Uh, Only loss in the UFC up to this point is against Islam Makachev. Win over absolutely elite grappler in Davi Hamos. Um, Win against Olivier Ovan Mercier. Uh, a really good grappler in his own right, um, and that that loss against Makachev was was pretty close, man. I mean, like I can't I can't put him to shame for that one. So I think Hakparas is an excellent fighter, but he's probably just going to get outdone by the grappling of Sarukian here. I mean, this is the way it's going to work. Sarukian is an outstanding wrestler. Hakparas is very good everywhere, but I mean, if you're out grappling Davi Hamos, Olivia Obama, Mercy, and going move for move with Makachev, what's Nasrat Hakparas going to do to you? So, 
I, uh, I'm going with Sarukian. Hakuras is live, though. I would not say that playing Hakuras equally with people like Marina Rodriguez and Dustin Poirier is ignorant at all. I think he's an excellent play. He's not in the Matt Favola League for me. I'm picking Favola outright, but yeah, I like Hakuras. I think he's live, but Sarukian, for me, it's a clear pick. I don't know how much Sarukian is going to score, though. So I can't necessarily say he's my favorite in that price range. I like Conor McGregor better. I like Hebos better. Um, do, do, do. Who are some other people in that price range that I like better? Mm, let me think. McGregor, Hebos. I think that's all. Yeah, I don't like Tavares. Round tree is a nice play. So that's three or four people I like better than Sarukin and that and that their price range. Divine Prodigy, what's your breakdown of this fight? Um I'm I'm on Sarukian big. Now I don't think Sarukian is great a great DFS play. I don't think that re- regardless, unless he does something crazy spectacular that's probably unexpected. Um I don't think he outscores, outperforms his salary. But I do think that Sarukian is is the real damn deal. Um, you mentioned he's only lost to uh, Islam Makachev, and there ain't too many people that's gonna beat Islam Makachev. But then you look at um, Nazrat Hakparis, and you, you kind of think his his UFC career has been kind of iffy, a little sketchy too. I mean, you lost to Marcin Hell, who only has a leg lock in his arsenal. How do you do that by decision? You beat Mark D. Casey, which is a decent win, but we've all seen that D. Casey hasn't really lived up to his potential. You beat T-Belt Guti. Who is he? He's out of the UFC now. You beat Joaquin Silva, and that might seem like a good win, but Joaquin Silva lost to Vince Pichel, too. Armand Armand Sarukian would beat Vince Pichel, Joaquin Silva, and Nasrat Hakpars probably all in the same damn night. Um, It's just you you lost to Drew Dober. I like Drew Dober. Drew Dober's come a long way. But you lost to Drew Dober. You beat the the guy you beat in that last fight out was uh, Munoz, I think Andre Munoz, and who was that guy? It was a I'm pretty sure that fight was short notice for Munoz and his claim to fame is beating a one armed guy named Nick Sewell. So, you know Nick it, it kind of seems Nick Newell, yeah, yeah, even my fault, Nick, my fault, Nick, but Nick Newell. So it's like it, his UFC career has been 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 pretty overrated. Um, hasn't really done much, but you have Sarukian who's already coming out the gate beating OAM. Um, uh, a few other guy, uh, uh, another guy you mentioned. I mean, not I'm not on it right now, but uh, Sarukian is the real deal. He can strike. He can strike with the best of him. He beat Davi Hamos. He can strike with them, and he showed that his last fight. The guy, he, guy is uh, he 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 can he, his striking is leaps and bounds from his freaking UFC debut. I didn't know he had it in him, and of course he's still a takedown threat. I think his takedowns is 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 getting up there on that type of. Uh, Islam Makachev or uh, that type of level. So uh, he, the guy is a total package. And Nasrach Hakparis is honestly, he's just another sacrificial lamb that the UFC is going to pile on to, you know, build up Sarukian. And uh, that's really what it is. That's really all there is to it. Like I said, I like Sarukian to win this fight big and dominate, but I don't think he's going to dominate in terms of DFS. And that is unfortunate, but he's he's a great cash game play, I guess, in that sense. But he's not losing this fight at all. 
I think Hot Cross is live. I think he can win, but I just don't think he does. Um, Tariq is going to make it look easy. I'm telling you. You think so? Okay. He's going to make it look easy. I don't think Hot Cross is, is an easy fight. I just don't. Next fight up, we got Brad Tavares versus Antonio Carlos Jr. Um, Tavares is $8,700. And Antonio Carlos DeSapot is shoe face is $7,500. And the way I feel about this fight is is that Brad Tavares is going to win a striking decision. Um, I don't think DeSapot is going to be able to take him down. I mean, comparable wins for Brad Tavares would be Tally Slates, Christoph Yako got, got decent, Vinny Magalesh, um, is that Vinny Magalesh? That should be Vinny Magalesh. Um, man, Brad Tavares has had fought everybody at the 185 division. He's one of the better fighters at the top of the division. Had a great fight against Yoro Romero. Uh, this is not a good matchup for Carlos Jr. I mean, Carlos Jr. can win, but I don't think it would be a dominant grappling type win. He has to figure out some of his hands and Tavares is the best striker, so... A black belt world champion level guy like Antonio Carlos Jr., you know, yeah, man. Get it. Get if you want exposure to it, get it. It's worth it. That's too cheap for a guy that that's skip that's that skill. Um, but yeah, I got Brad Tavares. I don't have a lot of interest in Carlos Jr., but he is he is the superior grappler here. So why wouldn't you roster somebody at that price? Um, when they have a superior skill set. Uh Divine Prodigy, what say you? Are you muted, Divine Prodigy? Because I can't. Hear yeah, you. I was muted. God damn it, I was. I'm gonna have to go the route of uh, Antonio Carlos Jr. Um, Brad Tavares has been around. He's obviously uh, a UFC veteran in every sense of the word. Um, tough, you know, can can strike, durable. Brad Tavares to me is kind of like a, a created fighter. You know, kind of like an 85 overall. You just put up everything evenly. Um and um you know you mentioned it kind of you mentioned it with seven thousand with the seven thousand dollar Marina Rodriguez you know you have an opponent in the seven thousand range that has an advantage over their opponent in a, in a particular area of course this case Antonio Carlos Jr has the advantage on the ground and Brad Tavares is pretty tough I know Brad Tavares is a tough fight I, I'm really not too sure I want to I'm, I'm favoring. Antonio Carlos Jr., but, you know, we, we know the problems that Antonio Carlos Jr. has had. Not only has, you know, one kind of been a cardio issue if his takedowns are not working, it's the fact that, you know, his his, his the, the Brazilian jiu-jitsu is pretty much all he has. That grappling and that jiu-jitsu, if that's not rolling together, then it's like, well, damn, what do I do next? He, he's not going to stand and win a stand-up affair against Brad Tavares. We know how this fight what this fight is, we know what needs to happen for both men. Um, but I think uh, in pretty much every UFC fight, practically all of them that Antonio Carlos Jr. has had, he at least gets a takedown in every last one, and that's that's all you need. Antonio Carlos Jr. was someone that's that good on the ground. All you need is one, and that one could end the fight. You know, get on your back, put the put the uh, the the the, the the, the body lock on you, something like that. You know, we all know it just needs one. So, of course, at that price, like you said, why not play him? Um, 
I'm I'm fully like I said I'm favoring AC ACJ, but I know full and well that he can come in this fight and lay a complete egg if he can't implement his will or his game plan. And this could just turn ugly and look potentially spectacular for Brad Tavares, who could probably even come out here and finish Anthony Carlos Jr. Depending on how tired he gets, or something like that. Am I banking on that? No, but. I think Antonio Carlos Jr. gets a takedown, at least one or two, during the entire duration of this fight. And once this fight hits the ground, that's his world. And that's all you want at 7,500. At least the fight is going to – he's going to have opportunity, you know. So I, I favor Antonio Carlos Jr. I never really thought too highly of Brad Tavares. But at the same time, like I said, he's seen it all. He is a UFC veteran. He could definitely have some takedown defense and and, and spark out. Antonio Carlos Jr. on the feet, but I just don't see it happening. Okay. I um I mean Antonio Carlos Jr. is live, but we kinda know what he is by now. He's an elite Brazilian Jiu Jitsu person. He's got decent wrestling, but he loses to like the top fifteen guys a lot of times. Heinish, Hall. He just I don't know. I just Brad Tavares is like a gatekeeper to the top ten or whatever. You say that. If you can beat Brad Tavares, you probably a top. I mean, you probably a top ten like fighter, right? Yeah, yeah. I can look at I can look at Tavares as a gatekeeper. I can look at Tavares as a gatekeeper. He's a gatekeeper. Who does he lose to? He lost to. Adesanya, okay, Shabazian, but I think Shabazian is promising. Shabazian is, is promising. But... Robert Whitaker, he did get KO, TKO versus Tim Bosch. And yeah, Yoel Tim Bosch ain't no damn time. So, Yoel Romero, Whitaker, Adesanya, and Shabazian. You see what I'm saying? If you're not the cream of the crop, you're not really beating Brad Tavares. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's not only, I think maybe a gatekeeper too. I said the top 10, maybe the top eight. Like if you can beat Brad Tavares, you're a top eight fighter. Yeah, yeah it's true. It's facts. Yeah. Yeah. Lost the Court McGee. But, uh, yeah. That was years ago. I'm talking about modern. Years day. ago. Last <laughs> year ago. Let's go on to our next fight. We got Sarah McMahon at $8,200 versus the Venezuelan Vixen. Juliana. I want to say Juliana. Juliana Pena at $8,000. So, this is an intriguing matchup because there's one thing I know for sure. For sure. Juliana Pena will not, will not take down Sarah McMahon. That's not happening. Sarah McMahon is an Olympic silver medalist who I don't know if anybody outside of Ketlin Vieira has actually ever taken her down. That's the only recorded takedown I could find on her record was Sarah McMahon. Ronda Rousey did not land a throw against Sarah McMahon. Juliana Payne will not take Sarah McMahon down. Uh, if this fight hits the ground, though, for some reason, I think Sarah McMahon will be the one in trouble because against people that are kind of on Juliana Pena's level of grappling, 
she usually gets submitted. She is probably also the better technical striker. So as long as it's standing, she is more, her, her technique is rote and robotic in a way. She is a wrestler at her base, but she is, you know, like, she is the more powerful puncher for sure, for certain. She's the harder puncher for sure, for certain, for certain. The problem is, is that I think Juliana Payne can put the volume on Serpent Man. Serpent Man gets sloppy. But if she does get sloppy, is she about to get taken down? No. The problem is she takes people down and then she gets submitted. This should be a smash win for Serpent Man. This is a horrible matchup for Juliana Payne, who is dependent on her wrestling to get her wins. She is not about to get no takedowns versus Sarah McMahon. Oddly enough, though, I think if it hits the ground, uh, especially if Sarah McMahon gets in Juliana Pena's guard for some reason, I think it could be disastrous for McMahon. It shouldn't be. Sarah McMahon should dominate this fight in every way. She should outstrike Juliana Pena because she's the more powerful puncher, and I believe she's more technical, actually. She's the better wrestler, so there's no way Juliana Payne's taking down the Olympic silver medalist. It should happen. Should be impossible. Uh, somehow, I think the player with the bigger upside from DraftKings' perspective is Juliana Payne because we know what Sarah McMahon does. She gets in here and she gets freaking submitted. Kellen Vieira submitted her. Marion Renault submitted her. Mary Renault is no better of a grappler than Juliana Payne. Her guard might be better. Uh, Mary Reno is very dependent on her guard, but she's no better of a grappler. Juliana Payne did. I, I could mention she took Valentina Shevchenko down, but it doesn't matter because she's not taking Sarah McMahon down. But I still think Juliana Payne has excellent upside because she could get that submission within the first two rounds. Sarah McMahon should win this fight, though. Divine Prodigy, what do you say about this fight? Um, I wasn't too interested in this fight, but I think maybe you have gotten me interested in this fight by judging by your, your breakdown. Um, I think you're you're right. You, you know, Juliana Pena, she's pretty. She's, Juliana, she's, I was I was bullshit. Shut your ass up! I'm saying the same thing you said. <laughs> she uh, Juliana Pena coming in. You know, she's she's used to being the bully. You know, she wants to be aggressive. She she pretty much uses that physicality and that strength to get her takedowns and. Both of their striking is isn't really anything to write home about. Juliana Pena is more just brawl with you, kind of like a, a like almost like a Chris Lieben type. Let me just throw a bunch of haymakers or a bunch of hooks into the pocket so that I can close the distance and then try to bully you. Not the wrestling, of course, like Chris Lieben, but just those flurries and stuff like that. But it's not really uniform. It's not really. It doesn't really have any true technique to it. And I think in that case, when she tries that, and she will try that this fight, especially if you, you know, if you, as you alluded to, that she cannot take Sarah McMahon down, who is an Olympic silver medalist in wrestling. Then when that happens, when that bull rush comes in, Sarah McMahon is just going to capitalize on the momentum going forward. And just take Juliana Pena down and just pretty much hold her there. That that's how I see it happening. Um, Sarah McMahon, at least from a DraftKings perspective, it looks like with control time, which if she's winning any fight, more than likely she has control time. Uh, I think at eighty two hundred she 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 becomes a, a great play. Like you said. Um yeah. Yeah, like, I think she becomes a great play and I think oh, she's yeah. I now even more about of a great control play. Time. 
I think she's now even more of a greater play than JoJo Calderwood. If you were scared about JoJo Calderwood, even though she, from a DK perspective, is great in her own right because she can do both the striking output and the the wrestling but i think now if you want to be safe want to be more safe between the two of who you can trust i think sarah mcmahon is now taking over that that mid-range type of level and i I think for 8200 like you said with the control time um sarah mcmahon's gonna probably more than likely win this fight and out bully the bully so and control time so is i know there's uh, of course there's a they, there could be an issue with sarah mcmahon's age uh she's i think she's about to go on 41 so it's like you know a, a woman of that you know that type of age you know and when the body does ultimately, the last thing to go that's what they and, say you know and but the, wrestling, 40 year old usually the older dudes i mean like this is in fact uh, she is not uh kelly what, 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 what came what kelly was that Middleweight. Dan Kelly. Dan Kelly, yeah, that old man strength and shit. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if she has it. But I, I think you never forget the wrestling techniques and the tips and tricks that you always pick up. You're always sharpening that, so I think she wins. I mean like Juliana Pena is young in her own right. She's not no spring chicken herself. Alrighty. She ain't forty. Let's go into our next fight. We've got Khalil Roundtree versus <laughs> Marcin Pratio. This shouldn't take long. It's $9,300. Pratio is uh, $6,900. I'm picking Roundtree. Uh, Pratio has been knocked out in every single one of his fights. I think I see what's going on here. I think this is on purpose. I don't think this, I don't think this is a mistake. That the guy that's been getting knocked out every single fight is going up against somebody that definitely puts people away. Cleo Roundtree, he's, he's danger must. And this is a bounce back spot, I guess. Uh, he's got losses to Walker and Cutalaba. Those are big power punches, though. No shame in that. Ah. Uh. We don't have to talk about this fight long. Like uh, you said, it Procneo and each each of his UFC fights is lost in the first round. Mike Rodriguez, Sam Alvey, and uh, one other guy. I think the other guy's pretty good too, though. Um, I gotta remember. Hold on, look at let me look at it. And uh, freaking oh, and uh, Magomed Ankalaev, who I think is the next two hundred and five pound champ if he gets there. So I mean, you see, you see what's going on. We all see what's going on here. 9,300, Khalil Roundtree should probably be the first guy, as we alluded to earlier, to get that plus 25-point bonus for having a knockout in the first 60 seconds of a fight. Um, I want to say you lock him in. You just do it. You do it. If Procneo somehow wins this fight, it's like, why why do we even analyze fights anymore? Why do we predict fights? Why do we predict them? This this the writing is literally on the motherfucking wall. We have a three fight sample size of the same shit happening. Um ninety three hundred first round KO, how do you not lock it in? How do you not lock it in? We just need Khalil around you to show the fuck up. That's it. Okay. All right. Yeah. Not much analysis to that. Cleo Roundtree loses, they should get rid of him. 
Um, I mean, he knocked out Gokhan Saki, for God's sakes. Man. He's supposed to put this guy away. Next fight up, we got Andrew Sanchez versus Mahmoud Mordov. Um, yeah, I have a problem picking Andrew Sanchez versus anybody with his gas tank. Because I think he gasses because he, like, panics or some shit like that. Like some sort of punk ass shit like that. Andrew Sanchez is supremely skilled. He's got he's a great wrestler. He's a great um he's a good striker. He's a great athlete. Uh but he got a gas tank about one and a half rounds and he tends to shit the bed a lot. I think Mordoff should take this fight. Andrew Sanchez is live though. He's always live. He's not a bad fighter. You know, um, he was the ultimate fighter, as a matter of fact. Beat up on Khalil Roundtree pretty significantly. Uh, he, he's a solid fighter, man. He was beating up Anthony Smith bad. He probably should have had Anthony Smith's title contingent spot. I mean, when you think about it, he's a better athlete. He's a better grappler. And he's... He's arguably a better striker. You know, at the time he was, he was beating the tar out of Anthony Smith and lost. So Andrew Sanchez is skilled. He's a live dog always because he doesn't suck. But he kind of sucks, you know, because he goes in there and he gets dominated. Oh, no, not dominated. He gets real tired, and then he's worthless for the last round and a half. I don't understand it. I think it's something mental or emotional. But I'm picking more dog. I don't know how much more dog exposure I will have. But maybe that's a reason to play more Davis because who's going to have him? Divine Prodigy, what do you say? Um, When I initially looked at this fight, I was picking Andrew Alderte Sanchez. Um, You know, for all of his cardio issues that he has had in the past, his fight against Marc-Andre Barriot, he went all three rounds. And though he was tired, he still pushed. And his fight against Wellington Thurman, um, I, I, I like Wellington Thurman. But in that fight, of course... Andrew Sanchez looked, um, I guess, improved with his stand-up. But Wellington Thurman, I don't know if he was off, but he just kept getting hit with the same damn combination. I was like, you just block your face, man. But I don't know. I don't think you, can, you can't take anything away from uh, Andrew Sanchez. At, at the end of the day, he did what he had to do. And like I said, I think, it, I think Andrew has been making improvements in his, his striking game. But I, honest, uh, optimally, I think that Mahmoud Mar- Maradov, of course, we know him as the Floyd Money Money Mayweather, uh, the his his little um, experiment that's his little experiment that's in the UFC for him. Um, but Maradov has has skill. You know, he has skill. He he he's standing. He he's a threat. He showed in the little, little last fight that he can wrestle a little bit. So, I mean, he he's obviously committed to being a well-rounded mixed martial artists and improving the other skills that he may not you know be on that and on that type of level in terms of his other skills trying to get them all you know up to snuff and up to par so and, and i think the athleticism will be the biggest thing here um Maradov, he's already went you know three rounds he went three rounds with alessio di Chirico, and i think as much as we, you know, believe Alessio DiCirico sucks, we know that he can have his moments. We just seen him beat Joaquin Buckley. Um, he makes fights usually pretty ugly, but if you can beat DiCirico, at least you at least shows that you can start your career off on the right foot. I think DiCirico is still a pretty decent win considering the people he's put under his cap at this point. 
Um, so, you know, I just think the athleticism would be too much. I, I see this being a very, very tough fight for Sanchez. Um, I, we could probably see him try to go to the takedown route, but, you know, I think uh, Maradov answered those questions on the takedowns against Trevor Smith. And, of course, Trevor Smith, I've never really believed in Trevor Smith. His, his chin has always been wonky to me, but one thing Trevor Smith does know how to do very well is wrestle. And um, we, he, of course, he tries it every single fight because that's what he, he does. And Muradov passed that, that test, at least with the wrestling, and knocked him out. So I don't know if a- Andrew Sanchez, I don't think he has what it takes standing, and he can try to wrestle. But like I said, it, the takedown defense of Muradov so far hasn't failed. So I just think this will be a, a, a close fight, but Muradov will just pull it out on the end. At the In the end, I don't think this fight is a good one for target for DFS. But give me Murdoff. Could be. Andrew Sanchez gases and Murdoff can finish. That could be the solution. Uh, next fight up, we got Mosar Ebluev at $9,400 versus Nick Lentz at $6,800. Nick Lentz better hope that he can hit a guillotine because otherwise he's losing this fight. That's my analysis. Somehow. That is the only analysis you need. Okay. Guillotine. That okay. is the only analysis you need. Mosar Ebluev is going to Evloweb is going to beat the hell out of Nick Lentz. Um, yeah. Nick Lentz is durable. Um, we hope he can only hope for a guillotine. My only thing is that um, Evloweb will not pay off 9400 He proved last fight, you know, that if someone is probably a threat on the ground, he can do it standing as well. He, he can stand with you and he can outstrike you and he can also wrestle you and just, you know, out wrestle you. I think in this fight, he might be. Uh, I don't wouldn't say scared to go to the ground, but just a little bit hesitant to go to the ground when he realizes that he can do the same thing standing just really, really easily. Either way, no matter where it goes, Evlo is going to win this fight. I just don't think 9,400, he's playable. I don't think you can play him. Cash game, yes. But he's not playable in terms of trying to win it all, GTP, optimal lineup, no. But he's going to beat the hell out of Lynch, so yes. Okay. Um... Next fight up, we got Zalm Zalgus Zalm Zumagulov. Zumagulov going up here against uh, Amir Albazi. Zumagulov is $8,300. Albazi is $7,900. I've got, I'm going with Albazi in this fight. He's one of my favorite underdogs on the card. Zumagulov seems to be an exceptional grappler. That's about it. His striking is pretty terrible. And he might be at a pretty significant height and reach disadvantage here as well. I'll have to check. But I just don't see Zumagulov win this fight. Uh, Albazi's got excellent skills everywhere. He's definitely way better on the feet. I think he might finish Zumagulov on the feet, actually. Um, I uh, I really like Albazi. I think he should be the favorite in this fight. I think Vegas made a big mistake. Take advantage of it on DraftKings. I think he'll score well as well. Uh, Divine Prodigy, what say you? Yeah, I'm on Albazi pretty big, kind of like you. I like when we're on a consensus, I guess, underdog pick. I think these prices should be flipped. Albazi should be 8300 Zumagulov should be 7900 but... We don't complain. We just take advantage. Um, I think physicality will be the difference here. Zumagulov, um, I don't really rate him too highly. Yes, he has wins over Tyson Nam, but Tyson Nam, we all know his inconsistency. Ali Bajo, Bajo Atinov, um, he's not even in the UFC anymore. He was decent in UFC, but 
since he's been gone from the UFC, it seems like all he's been doing is just getting beat up. So I don't know. Um, then you, you, you have Albazi who beat Malcolm Gordon, and Malcolm Gordon to me, uh, he has skill, but that guy, he's not really just that good. Once he gets hit, he, he, he's down. So he's a submission guy, can't really take any punches. That's okay. But I think Albazi here, and we know he, at least his submission, he's a submission guy himself. 13 wins, eight of them are uh, submission. So he likes the ground game. But he can he can strike too. And I think this fight, like you said, uh, it'll probably be like a club and sub type thing where on the feet, I think Obazi has Zumagulov beat. And then once he maybe puts him down from something, he'll get on top and probably submit him. Um, I just think this this is a good a good fight for um, Albazi. I even think last time they made this fight, they still had Zumagulov as the favorite and they had uh, Albazi like eight eight thousand versus Zuma Gulov eighty two hundred. So they've mispriced the fight two times now, both both ways, and we're just gonna take advantage. That's it. I like Albazi. Pretty oh, good. so the first time this fight happened, Albazi opened as a significant favorite. No, no, no. Albazi was still the underdog in terms of DraftKings. He was still the underdog. Oh. He was still mispriced as the underdog. Yes. Okay. And I was gonna like I liked him there too before he got canceled. So I like Albazi. Maybe it would be smart to kind of hedge that fight though. But I really like Albazi. I don't see some good loss about the victory. Albazi should be kind of like eighty seven hundred or something like that. Yeah, mind. mispriced, man. Mispriced. Very much so. That's going to do it for this edition of Black Market Picks, guys. I hope you guys enjoyed it, and we will catch you later. Peace out.